You know, we all love debating the greatest song, the greatest book, the greatest pet, the greatest car, the greatest vacation, the greatest shoe, the greatest team, the greatest phone, the greatest computer. The gr- and you just go on. And, and we have our bents, don't we? And of course, it's this time the 85 bears come up, right? And, and we, like, it's the only thing. I, I do see some Green Bay Packer. You know, I, you guys are spoiled. That's all I can say, you know. You get to the playoffs way too often, you know. But, but again, you look at, well, okay, the greatest defense, the greatest quarterback. The, and we go on and on and on. And, you know, um, who's the greatest running back? Who's the greatest basketball player? And so, you know, sometimes people honestly think they know it all. And they really kind of are convinced that they know what the greatest whatever it is. But the truth is, is that none of us, for the most part, have all the knowledge or all the information or all the abilities to be able to figure out what the greatest whatever. But can you imagine this, the Son of God? Jesus, very early in his ministry, he was asked a question. Now again, he was 100% man and 100% God. And he was asked a question that he literally could answer. He could be the authority. He was God. He is God. And there was someone that asked him a question. Well, Jesus was asked a lot of questions, but this one was a very important question. And the question was this, Jesus, (laughs) what do you think the most important commandment is? Jesus, there's a lot of commandments, (laughs) 613 to be quite honest, out of those How many, or what is the greatest? So if you have your Bibles with me, would you open to Matthew 22? If you have a flat screen, it's easy to go to. And and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the board also. (laughs) Board. It'll be up on the screen. Really not a board. All right. Starting Matthew 22. 22. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. A second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, so many of us sitting here have heard these words. This is not new. This is not revolutionary. This is something that that we all have heard in one form or the other. Loving you and loving others. God It's important for a reason. And my guess is, not only was it confusing back 2,000 years ago, I think it's a little confusing today. 
It sounds simple, but God, I, I think there's more to it. And I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray, dear God, that, that I would not distract in any way, but people would hear from you today. And that your word, your transforming, powerful word, would change us from the inside out. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We're going to start and focus on verses 37 and 38. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. If you read a little bit before in the context and understand this passage a little bit more, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other scribes, the religious people were always trying to trap Jesus. They're always trying to buffalo him. They're always trying to get him in a box. Well, the Sadducees, you know, they were just before this uh, uh, a religious group that basically didn't believe in the resurrection. Well, what Jesus did, they were questioning him, they were talking back and forth, and Jesus literally muzzled the Sadducees with his answer. He was so wise and so full of wisdom that, that the Sadducees had no answer. They go right from there to a most learned and astute expert in the law trying to trap Jesus. To be quite honest, this person actually treated Jesus with respect. I'm not so sure, again, if just he was wondering if he wanted to push the envelope, but he thought he had a great question. You see, at that time... It was not unusual to have debates about religious things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, as we said, these two religious orders would oftentimes talk or publicly debate the Scriptures. They had divided the law, the, the Old Testament, between ritual and moral laws. And the religious loved putting minute ritual law on the same playing field as God's amazing moral laws. So they would go back and forth and, and put, well, how long can you actually walk on the Sabbath? We want to make sure we don't break the law there. And they would go into all this minutiae. And I think this was part of the problem when Jesus came on the scene. The things you're focusing on, basically, Jesus would say, aren't, aren't really that important. Yes, they're all important in the grand scheme of things, but, but why don't you focus on the important? Jesus answered, and we don't understand this completely, but he answered immediately. He answered and replied without hesitation. You want to know what the most important commandment is? You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Now to every Jew, and again, the culture was so very, very different. It really was. Uh, you have to remember that, that there wasn't any kind of media at all. And 2,000 years ago, was smaller towns and villages, and, and where people were born, they usually died. But some of the things, especially for a Jewish family, if you turn your Bibles with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
Deuteronomy is right, it's the, the fifth book of the Bible. It's way in the beginning. Um, if you go to chapter 6, every Jewish family would say a prayer or repeat a prayer in the morning and before they went to bed. And it was called the Shema. And the reason it was is that that is the first word of this Hebrew um, encouragement from from Moses. But he starts off in chapter 6, starting in verse 4. He says, Shema al-Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. You have to remember that Jesus at this moment in the region of Galilee, this was a very scripturally literate group of people. Normally at this time, and you'll get a little bit more of of this culture even as you read the scriptures, but there were a whole lot of great rabbis, teachers that literally came from this region. If you were a youngster, you started begin or you began to uh, train and learn the Torah at five years old. By the time you were 12 years old, you usually had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. We talked a little bit about this when we were talking about Mary and how young she was, but yet how biblically literate she was. In this culture, um, after 12, people would still go to the synagogue. They would still learn the Torah, but most of them would begin to train in some kind of a occupation. Mostly, they would learn their parents' trade. Well, at about 20, you either then just did your trade or you started to meet um, with a rabbi. And so at this moment, at 20 years old till about 30 years old, you would train. It would be the sharpest and the most elite. And they would study the Torah every single day. Ten years of seminary. Oh, my word. All right. And by the time they were 30, they would make a decision. Would you be a rabbi? Would you gather some people around you? Would you do the same thing that you have been taught? Isn't it unusual that Jesus kind of fit exactly in this kind of cultural thing? He started his public ministry right at about 30, where he gathered disciples. Well, anyway, what would happen is that these families would, would know the Scriptures, they would say the Scriptures, this prayer would be spit out all the time. But if you read a little bit further in Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 6, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Oh my. Some of the hyper-religious would take this literally. Now, I think what Moses was saying is, 
hey, God's word's got to be a priority. You're always going to be talking about it. You're going to memorize it. You're going to learn it. You know, it's going to be a normal conversation. That's just what I'm saying. But honestly, if you'd go to Israel even today, you would see in in every hotel room just about, and on any um, Jewish home, these mezuzahs. And it's just a little, small, um, kind of... uh, Um, oblong object, and in it would have the scroll of these verses. But the super spiritual even now would wear phylacteries on their foreheads and their left arms during prayer with these additional texts. And there would be some parts of Exodus chapter 13 in them. And where the, what would happen with these texts is they would be all reminders of how big and wonderful God was. Now, again, I think the important thing is the scriptures are critical. Not that you literally put some Bible verses on your forehead and you wrap some Bible verses on your left arm. Because the sad thing is, in spite of all this really, well, looking like it's good stuff, although it does look a little odd, you know, to be quite honest. Um, but, But... So many Jews knew about God. They didn't know God. They had memorized. I'm pretty sure there's not one person here that knows the first five books of the Bible by heart. They knew the Bible. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. And my guess is, with as many people as there are in this room, there's probably some of us that fall in that same category. Maybe we've been really religious. Maybe we've grown up in the church all of our lives. Maybe, you know, your dad's a pastor. Oh my, that would be terrible, you know? But, but what would happen? You have all this knowledge, but for some reason we just go through life. Our knowledge of God hasn't changed us. We don't understand all that He has for us. And the transformation isn't happening. I think that's really what was happening with the Jews. Jesus was asked a simple question. What's the most important thing in life? What's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing you can focus on? And without Him even taking a breath, He said, love the Lord your God with everything You've got. Jesus was literally saying, the great commandment is the commandment of Moses that all of you recite every day and many of you bind on your arms and foreheads when you get up in the morning. The Jews missed the relationship part. The Jews had this knowledge, but they didn't know God. And how do you love someone that you don't know? You see, Jesus Christ not only taught this, but, but he was our Messiah. He was our Savior. He came in order to die on a cross and shed his blood so that your sin and my sin would be taken care of and we could be reconciled. That's an unbelievably beautiful word. 
We were once all of us apart from God. We had no relationship with God. But God said, I love you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to pay the debt. And you get to be reconciled. We get to be friends. We get to have a relationship together. And when you come to Christ in faith, you become a son or a daughter. You know, that is one of the greatest privileges I have as a person and as a pastor is reminding over and over and over and over again who you are. You see, it's not because you were born in a certain country or that you know the first five books of the Bible by heart. It's that you recognize that you need to be rescued. And you need to be reconciled. And that's what Jesus came to do. You see, the Bible is filled with normal people doing extraordinary things. Excuse me. Things because of their relationship. In fact, the reason for their remarkable kingdom impact is their intimacy with God. Last week, if you were here, we talked uh, how David kind of shared his heart from Psalm 16. But he had said there that the godly are heroes, and I take pleasure in them. Is that people who walk with God are the people who are my heroes, David says. And that's really what Jesus was confirming. You know, there's a few folks, folks that I'm pretty sure every one of you have heard. What about that guy Moses? We love talking about Moses and opening up the Red Sea and all his, his uh, you know, power that happened during the Egyptian slavery. But the truth is, you remember Joe's, uh, <laughs> Moses' um, journey? Do you remember that? First 40 years, he had the best of the best. Training and everything. Military training, food, the whole thing. Then he kind of messed up. And he was sent out to a desert. A desert for 40 years. I'm pretty sure that was 40 years of spending time with God at that moment. Moses? Yeah, great guy. But you're not a great guy without me. Let's spend some time together. At the end of 80 years, all the experiences, the journey, the intimacy, God says, now you're ready to lead my people. 80 years of learning who God was. And remember, the only one in all of the scriptures has been referred to as the friend of God is Moses. So you're telling me two-thirds of his life he was spent before he actually got to being a wanna leader? Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. David. David has the title, Man After God's Own Heart. But where do we find David? We find David watching over sheep. One of the most derogatory things and places and occupations you could have. But he learned, well, to trust God. He killed lions and bears in his spare time. 
He was given unbelievable confidence and even learned how to play an instrument. All this. And then when he, even after he was anointed, he spent time in the desert, in the caves. Finally, he got to the throne. What about Elijah? We love, I mean, one of my absolute favorite Bible stories happens at Mount Carmel. I mean, isn't that a great story? This prophet stands up. There's all kinds of evil prophets around. They're waiting for fire to come down and consume a sacrifice. You look at Elijah and say, that guy is amazing. I'd love to do that. Walk out in front and just call fire down. That would get people's attention. All right? But what happened, we forget that he spent three years at a brook by himself, being fed by ravens, my guess is, spending time with the Almighty God. What about the disciples? Three years. Three years hanging out with Jesus. Three years learning from the best teacher. And even at the end of those three years, there was, some people didn't think they were too ready, including, I think, Jesus at the moment. But when that Holy Spirit came and they were transformed and they changed a world. I look at the Apostle Paul and he's got to be so many of our heroes to be quite honest. But Paul was so well educated. He had power. He had position. And he was confronted by the Almighty God when he probably was 32 years old. We find this out in Acts chapter 9. In spite of his education, after he met God, God says, you know what? We've got to spend some time together. You know all the scriptures. In fact, he knows more scriptures than any of us in this room. There there was no doubt. But he says, you know what? It's time to go spend some time with me. And the scriptures tell us in Galatians 1, that he spent about three years in a desert listening to God, developing that relationship. Then, there's a quiet time we can't account for about five more years after that. And whether, again, he's in some churches or whether he is just kind of listening to God, we're not sure. And then after five years, he serves with Barnabas in Syrian Antioch for about a year. We find this in Acts chapter 11. And then the church at that time says, you know what, Paul? You're somebody special. I'm going to send you out as a missionary. So if we look at it, three years, five years, I'm not that good with math, but it's about eight years, okay, One more year serving in a church, nine years, and then finally the greatest of all the missionaries. Hey, now it's time to go serve. But he knew God differently. He saw God differently because he spent time with God. His first missionary trip out of three, he was probably 42 years old. So he didn't really kick it into gear till he was about 42. And he covered about 7,000 miles on that first missionary trip. At 42, whoa. 
he was all in. We also know he was in prison at least three times. When you're in prison, let me just say this, you don't have a whole lot of freedom. All right? He's listening to God. He's writing. He's encouraging other believers. We know all that. But near the end of his life, and I'm just going to say 55-ish. We don't exactly know, but, but near the end of his life, probably about 55, and probably Paul died 62-ish, 63-ish. How about that? All right? And so when he was about 55 while still in prison, can you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3? Paul lived a very powerful life. He was turned into a humble servant of God. He's now reflecting over his whole life. He's looking back. He's probably got some regrets and he's probably got some things he wish he had done differently. He's in prison writing to a Philippian church, a church that he loved deeply. And he writes, writes this, starting at verse 5, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. <laughs> Not a big deal to most of you, but, but again, what we're going to find out is, is Paul's a pretty good rule keeper. Paul is pretty Jewish. That's what we're, we're going to find out here. All right. He says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I just got to stop right there. He actually believed out of the 613 rules and regulations, he kept them. Now we know he didn't, but, but the guy was pretty squeaky clean right now. All right? But he saw none of that mattered. Actually, none of all of this, this would make him one of the most sought-after rabbis in all of the land. But he said, none of that actually matters. Look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. If you mark your Bibles, which I encourage you, this is your love letter. This is the thing you open up. If you have pencils, pens, color, man, underline that. For his sake... I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ, or understand who Christ is, and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous, or have a right standing through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And this is his desire. I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. 
What's the most important thing to Paul as he looks back now, as he sees the big picture, as everything is crystal clear? Paul, what's important? Well, it wasn't his heritage, his success, his passion, his performance. And you know what? The truth is, is that most of us spend time in our lifetime focusing on these things. Just got to be honest. We focus on these things. Because our culture says, if you haven't noticed... That's where you come from and how successful you are and how passionate you are and what kind of difference you can make and how you perform really makes a difference. And folks, it does in some ways. But at the end of your life, when you're looking back, those are not the things that are going to matter. I can tell you that right now. You know, when you're 20, that's really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. When you get 40, it's, it's a little easier. When you get 60, oh my word. Your life just has almost passed before you. When you get to be 80, things clear up real fast on what is important. They really do. And what he says this, he goes, I now count it as garbage. Now, I got to let you know this. It's a nice way to put things in the New Living Translation. The term really is, I count it as dung. It is, if you were reading this in the, <laughs> at the church of Philippi, this would shout out to you because it's quite a vulgar term. Now again, maybe that word is tossed around a little bit easy today. And you hear it quite often. But the truth is, this was, wow, Paul, what, he, you said this in church, Paul? <laughs> you used manure in church? Now I figure since Paul did, I could. Oh, you guys thought it was cake. Now look at this nice, fine pile of horse manure. I'm sorry. You guys are going to suffer on this one. All right, this is wafting already right here. It's not good. But this is what Paul says. He goes, you know what? I look at my life. Whoa! Everything, everything I thought was really powerful, really successful. You want to know what it is? Wow, this! Now, I do think this is good, I understand, for some plants, maybe, you know. But I don't really know what else this is good for. I, I don't. And Paul says this, you know, I used to live my life, I look back, and most of my life was this. Until I met somebody. His name was Jesus. And Jesus changed it all. You know, it would be really tragic, and I'm just going to say it. 
we get to the end of our lives, we look back and we say, I spent my whole life on that. Wouldn't that be hard? I put all my eggs in one basket and I just focused on me and I spent my money and my talents and my everything. And you know what? I'm going to die. And I'm going to meet my Savior. And he's going to say, well, what did you spend your time on, man? Why? You could have walked with me for years. Why would you do that? Paul wasn't just trying to be crude. Paul was saying, there's only one thing that's worth it. And that's getting to know my Savior. You know, how do we do that? How do we love God with all of our heart and deepen our relationship and become more intimate? We spend time with God in any relationship. Anytime there's a marriage that's in trouble and they come to the pastor hoping again for some magic pills, the first question I ask, How's your relationship? Well, we're married. Whoa, okay. Let's go back. How's your relationship? Do you spend time with each other? Do you enjoy each other? Do you talk with each other? There's no way you're going to have an unbelievably beautiful, terrific, and great marriage unless you spend time with each other. And there is no way. We cannot do a shortcut here. You cannot come on a Sunday for an hour, get your God fixed, go home, and live your life any way you want to live it. That's why last week, and some of you also received our shepherd staff. But we're encouraging you to spend time with God. And out in our lobby, there's a Bible reading plan. And i got to be honest, we've already handed out 75 of those babies. Now, I don't know if everyone's going to use it. And honestly, if you're more electronic kind of a person, the discipleship kind of journal plan is on version. It's also on Bible Gateway. You can just open that up and it'll help you walk through those scenarios. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it because you can't figure it out anyway. All right? But what I would just say is this, is that I'm not trying to give you another plan. I'm not trying to make you perform in some way so that God smiles on you, pats you on the, on the head and said, I am so glad that you read the word today. What it is, is just a system to be able to, to read all of the scripture, to be able to hear about God, to learn about God, to understand who God is. And it's amazing. As you spend time with God, you trust and obey Him. And when you obey God, you love God. 
at the very end of, of Christ's earthly ministry, he had his disciples around him. And in John 14, he reminded them again of what was important. And he said this. And by the way, these are all active verbs. Which just simply means this. If you love me, obey my commandments. In other words, if you keep loving me, keep obeying and obeying and obeying my commandments. Those who accept, keep accepting my commandments, receiving them, and keep obeying them. Those are the ones who keep loving me. You know, we all have regrets in life. But you will never regret time with God. As you think of your pastor this week, I would ask that you would pray for me. I have a really unique privilege, and that is I'm going to be going up north to Silver Birch Ranch, and I'm going to be teaching a class in the Nicolay Bible Institute. Someone back there that uh, knows what I'm talking about. But I have an opportunity for one week straight, all day and in the evening, talk about how to connect with God with 30 college students. And it is absolutely one of the highlights I have of the year because all I do is talk about how wonderful God is and let's connect with Him. And if you do that and you're only 21 years old and you spend God with 10... And you spend God over the next 10 years. Do you realize what your relationship's going to be like? And just say you spend time with God every day for the next 20 years. Do you realize how you're going to see God differently? What you're going to do differently? You see, you're not going to read this just because you have to read this. You're going to read this because, God, you are changing my life. The way I look at things, the way I act, the way I give, the way I serve. Oh, God, I am so grateful to you. Remember, loving God with all of your heart is a choice. It is a choice. Then in Matthew 22, starting at verse 39, there's a second part. And Jesus actually puts it on the same level. And I'm not sure how he does this because he's God and he can do this. But he was asked the question, what's the most important? Now to us, he gives us two most important. But to him, it's one most important. He said, I want you to love God. And I want you to love others. Look at the last part. A second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Literally, he says, keep loving your neighbor as yourself. You know what I found out? You can never love your, your neighbor the way you ought to unless you love God first anyway. You just can't. So I'm not sure, again, if, if there's a royal order, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus meant. Love God first, because then that will give you the ability to love neighbors. You know, folks, it's hard to love people in our own household, isn't it? I, I mean, let's be honest. To forgive them. Well, I remember what. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guess that wasn't forgiven. All I know 
is that if there are people that you kind of like a lot and they're hard to love, how are we going to love obnoxious Freddie who lives next door? Or down the road? Or the big, ah, a nice person that works across the desk from you? How, how do you do that? Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the Pharisees who he was talking to at this moment had actually no genuine love for God, had no genuine love for the Jews. They just cared about performance. And I'm telling you, they certainly had no genuine love for Gentiles. All right, they didn't. But it's focusing less on you and more on others and and honestly, it's learning from your good, good father. You know, the focus is neighbor. And Jesus gave us a definition of a neighbor. And so many of you uh, have read, well, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But Jesus actually was answering a question. There was a little technicality. And he was talking about loving others and people and, and influencing neighbors. And the question was, well, who's my neighbor? And he told this whole long story. But the idea is this. Your neighbor is someone that has a need. Your neighbor is someone who's beat up. Your neighbor is someone who's going to cause you an inconvenience. Because people do that. People cause inconveniences. And God says this, there's going to be people all around you. It's, it's not going to be a certain person all the time. But, but if God puts you in proximity of someone. That's a divine appointment. And loving and caring for them can only happen if you have a good relationship with God. Then he ends up. The entire law and demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Really what Jesus said is, if we love God and we love others, I am telling you, that's the scripture. There's no need to actually even know all that. Because if you're doing that, you're going to be obeying and loving and treating others the way we ought to treat others. You know, what's the big deal? Some of you honestly are just looking at me and say, Rick, you spent a long time talking about one thing, and we already know that. You know, love God with all my heart and soul and mind and love others. I do it. Well, my guess is we all probably can grow in this area. My guess is, is that as God becomes more and more part of our lives, that we are unbelievable representatives of Him wherever we go and whatever we do. Our culture doesn't applaud this. This seems like a waste of time. But the Apostle Paul said, as I look back, the most important thing is that I get to know God 
and be one with Him. There isn't anything more intimate than that. And that's what Paul said he wants to spend his time doing. The person who truly loves the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul and mind, is the person who trusts and obeys him. And I guess with one practical step, I would just say this. As you open up this word, almost every time I would ask the question, God, are you asking me to do something? And then do it. Yeah, I'll be honest, I came home last night, or, or yesterday, and my wife and I were uh, sitting at a table, and, and she says, uh, Rick, that's my name, I think we need to give such and such some money. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> what's going on? You know, I was reading the scripture. And God actually just convicted me. I said, Sharon, we don't even know these people. And then all of a sudden, I just said, Rick, are you an idiot? God, talk to her. Do it. And there was nothing else said. Do it, Sharon. Do it. I don't know how God talks to you. I don't know what he whispers to you. I don't know what he shouts to you. But you know what? You're going to love God better every time you listen and you take that step in faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for being our God. I thank you so much for your patience. And I thank you, God, that you sent people, a whole book full of people ahead of us, modeling for us how important it is to get to know you. God, I pray that when we're 80 or however long you give us that we don't look back and say, wow, I spent my life doing some pretty worthless things. Teach us who you are. Guide us, direct us, empower us, God. We want to love you and love others better. In Jesus' name, amen.